Wow, I love being part of a church that's part of family. Isn't it good? While we were worshipping, uh, there's children over here uh, just joining in and worshipping. There's children all over. And there's older children. I'll make, I say that because I'll make reference to that a bit later this morning. Yeah, we've all, we're all children. Today, we begin a series on the Trinity. It's very exciting. Uh, from time to time, Northreach wants to dip into some of our doctrine. Uh, so, we, you know, we will choose to go through a book and we'll faithfully stay as much as we're able uh, to in our personalities. We'll stay on track with what the verse and the scripture are saying. Uh, but then days like today, we just want to dip into what it is to know that God is the Father. The Trinity is Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And today we begin by uh, uh, just kind of skimming, to be honest, because I'd need days, weeks, years to actually uh, examine the depth of what it is to know that God is our Heavenly Father. And we, we probably made the decision that we're not going to spend months doing this. So bear with me that you will be thinking of things that I may not even mention, and I praise God for that. And then there will be some things that you haven't thought of that I do mention, and you'll think, wow, yes, now I remember that about our Father, and I praise God for that. So the Trinity is our target for three weeks, and we start with God the Father. 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 6 says, Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for all whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Unfortunately, God was not the centre of attention during our recent election campaign. We look to leaders to lead in a godly way. But do we discern God when we consider the major influences of our nation and community? Who is God anyway? And I believe during the last year, or these last two years, whilst many have been locked out of church in different periods, uh, my adult children experienced this in an elevated way living in Melbourne where they were locked out of church for weeks and weeks and weeks at a time. I'm not sure that there's been any lasting change in people's religious practices. Even though we were cast out of church and now here at Northridge we're able to come back into church, how much has that experience changed us? People may be asking, but I'm not sure they're asking in churches, who is God? Our churches are not filling up with people wanting to find a space to worship the triune God. And what that says to me is that most don't know the truth about who God really is. They don't ask the question because they haven't been given the truth 
and how good is it to take the truth to the ends of the earth? So what do you tell someone when they ask you? And I believe they eventually will, as we press in closer to the second coming of Jesus, people will ask, what do you believe about God? Well, I believe he's the king over all. He is master, creator, sustaining and all-powerful God. He is God. There's no greater explanation to answer the question of who is God than to simply say, he is God. But then what do we mean by that? I find it very comforting to know God is both king and father. Only God could hold this perfect balance, tender and tough, king and father, able to exercise gentleness and mercy whilst commanding obedience. And then the very nature of love. We, uh, love is one of the most used words, one of the uh, most used uh, contexts in our human experience. But when you think of God, God is love, true? And so there is no love without God. And we don't get to experience love without God. It is the very nature of God. Honestly, these attributes make God so attractive to humans. God the Father is called Abba by Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was a Jewish term, Jesus being a Jew, a term of endearment and respect. Effectively, he was calling out Daddy. And when Jesus taught us to pray, he says we should address God as our Father, our Heavenly Dad, not disrespectfully, but to know that he is our Father. And what kind of king, what kind of authority as king allows people direct access to speak to him? It's amazing. And he gives us his whole inheritance and knows his followers intimately. And we should have a zeal for God that indicates our understanding of his sovereignty whilst responding to his tenderness. Anyone who's ever stared up into the night sky and particularly out in the bush, we lived out in Dolby for uh, six years and one of the entertainments was lying on the trampoline in the backyard and just starting to count the stars and uh, finishing up somewhere beyond 100 but knowing there are billions more that we will never see. You look up into the vastness and all that God has created you go to any creek and you look at all the plants. You, you look at the sustainability of life. And you discipline yourself not to ignore the fact that God is God. So I can't describe God in a single sermon. I'll not try to cover all that God is. I can't and I won't. But just because we can't fully understand all of God does not mean 
that we can't stop, think and learn from God's word about who he really is. So I'm clearly not attempting to be thorough. Just to start our thoughts. And if I can state it this way, just a, a, a kind of takeaway if you like, God is not an unknown, he is too often misknown. I can say with confidence, he's unfathomable. And John Wesley put it this way, give me a worm that can understand a man and I'll show you a man who can understand God. In Psalm 145 verse 3, David gives us his description, one of many. His greatness is unsearchable, unreachable, no one can fathom. The reality is it's impossible for our finite minds to understand an infinite God. In Isaiah 55 and verse 8, that his thoughts are not our thoughts, that his ways are not our ways, our understanding, our capacity to fathom the truth of God changes. But God never changes. He himself is unchanging. In Malachi and verse uh, 6, chapter 3, verse 6, God says that he does not change. We live in different times. And I want to be bold enough to say that we live in a time of ignorance and low understanding. Our society is biblically illiterate and even blind to the story and the history of the values of democracy. Our constitutions, uh, particularly in the Western world, are based in Scripture. It is the wholeness of the knowledge of God that created moral uh, purpose and the writings that are set down to give us guidance uh, first in the Scriptures. And they've influenced man in such a way that he then has penned it. And people in governance today try so very hard to change legislation and govern without moral and ethical law that's based in the scripture and they come up with emptiness. The evidence is all around us. The Bible and the nation of Israel and even Israel's enemies never questioned God's existence. They knew he was. In all of eternity, he was and is and always will be. Even his name Jehovah means I am that I am and I will be who that I will be. He's the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. And he cannot love you less. And he cannot love you more. This is the essence of God. He does not change. And when we consider the Father, our Father God, in the Godhead, there's a few theological definitions that I always find helpful in understanding the Father. And here's the first one. Sorry, I think I jumped. Omnipresent. In 2 Chronicles 6 and 18, it says, But will God dwell with people on the earth? Even heaven cannot contain you. How much less this temple? A reasonable question from an earthly king, yeah? Realising the magnitude of a heavenly father. Because he's all present, he's not confined to either time or space. 
So the temple is not going to hold him. It's a great recognition from David. He's all present, not confined. Yeah, you know, years ago, Bette Midler had a hit song called "God Is Watching Us." Some of you are old enough to remember that. Great tune. Said that God was watching us from a distance. And makes for a great listen, but the the song itself is theologically error, so wrong, because God doesn't watch us from a distance or is so impersonal that he has to open his window in heaven to check on us. He's an all-present God. David understood this very well. In Psalm 139, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. The passage is a favourite for many. David gives us this insight into a personal and intimate relationship with an amazing but awesome God who extends his desire for relationship through to us. He knows us. Psalm 139 is all about what we get through sovereignty. We get God's perfect creative power. We get his perfect understanding. We get his perfect intimacy and his presence who is right here all the time. David's giving his testimony. Effectively, he says, and there was no place that I could go and hide or get away from God. He's always with me. God, you are always there. You're always, always present. You're right there at my very worst and you're beside me at my very best. And when you think you're alone, Here's David's testimony. I was never alone, never possible, because God is near. And we live in a world that's gaining so much information. We learned last week from Simon. Uh, I'm not going to go too long. Simon's got the record right, and I'm I'm not going to break it today. But we learned that information is doubling every day. So heavily influenced by learning and understanding. People are so hungry for information and driven by media and social media. So this fact puts a smile on my face. Omniscient or omniscientist. He is the one true God who knows everything, knows it all. And by grace allows some really intelligent minds to know a little bit of what he knows. And all of our learning comes essentially from what he allows us to learn. God is not limited to time like we are. He knows what we call past, present and future. He knows what will happen because he knows everything. All knowing is essentially what omniscient means. All science is his. And you... uh, You know, it can kind of be put really simply, as many spiritual mentors have said to me over my lifetime, reminded me, and as I've said before, starting with my mum, I may not know what you're doing, or I may not know, but God does. I'm big enough to admit that there are so many things I don't understand. I reckon the biggest of them is why God gives us a free will. 
you know, many people have said, so why does God let people do? Why, why does God create naughty people, ugly people, terrible people? Why does God give us a choice? Does he know our choices? My answer to that is yes. He knows, but he doesn't predetermine them and he's not responsible for them because the element of choice means we are able to choose God. Amen? We are able to choose right over wrong. Parents, you understand this on a limited scale. Uh, when your child asks you to do something or to go somewhere, you know, when they're a little bit older and they've got through the walking stage, they're onto the running stage and they say, can I go? And you can fairly accurately know what they're going to be up to. Um, the interesting thing about a parent is you've previously been a child. That's why you may often say no or not yet, not ready for that yet. All of us in the room, though, here's the kicker, have been children. We can understand it because when you've done something, you know whether that was right or wrong. And in my case, when I'd done something that was wrong and I got home, I kind of thought mum wouldn't have known. <laughs> Silly boy. In our house, when the kids were younger, when they got home and mum says, where have you been? It's a rhetorical question. <laughs> she already knew. But do you know... What is amazing here is that God knows what we will do and yet he loves us. Isn't that awesome? He knows, but he loves. And the psalmist wrote in 147 verse 5, Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. And finally, God is omnipotent or omnipotent. We serve and worship an all-powerful God. So everything that ever was or is is subject to him. And we should know what sovereign is. But the very reality of sovereignty is corrupted when applied to some of our monarchs and kings. We have not had very good examples of what sovereign means. And it corrupts our understanding. But God illuminates what sovereign really is. And if we want to know what sovereign is, we need to read the scriptures and let them speak to us about the almighty power of our God. Jeremiah writes, our sovereign Lord, God, you made heaven and earth by your power, your great power, with an outstretched arm, nothing is impossible for you. Isn't that a great testimony? Isn't that a wonderful insight? Go, Jeremiah. All of God's power is in complete harmony with his wisdom. 
his presence and his will. And when we think of the unity of God, uh, the Trinity, uh, the elements of God that we see and will see over these three weeks of, of who God really is, bottom line, wow, God, all-powerful. So nothing's too hard, nothing impossible. I want to say this, though. While he is all-powerful, knows everything, can be everywhere at the same time, anywhere and everywhere at the same time, is all present. While those things are true, there's a few things that he can't do. Now, that got your attention, yeah? A few things he can't do. He's limited to. These are self-imposed limitations. Things like he cannot lie. He cannot love you less. And those limitations don't make him weak. When I think about it, they are evidence of his power. Amen? His dependability as king and father. And because of what we believe or know to be true about God, we have to respond. We respond to his person and his attributes. Responses to God's fatherly love. The truth is we have to respond to God sometime, somehow, some way. And on that list, which demands a response, the Bible is helpful for everything. Illuminating who God really is, what his character is. No limit to his capacity, all-powerful. And highlighted that there is only one God. I, I had to study when I was in Bible college. I had to study some of the other beliefs around uh, what other religions or what religion, because I don't believe Christianity is a religion, what religion actually illuminates about their faith and so many of them you know there's all these different tracks but there's only one hill God sits at the top of the hill so you can pick all your different angles get the top of Castle Hill which track do you want to take well you read the Bible there's only one track one way to one God and if we get that wrong, we've totally missed the target. It's not like God's at the top of the hill and we've got to find the right track. It's that we need to submit and honour our Heavenly Father. As this is the only way, one way, to confess that we're sinners and acknowledge who God is. 
in uh, Psalm 8 and verse 3, I look up uh, at you to the heavens, to the work of your fingers, to the, the shape of the world by, done by your fingers. There's the moon, the stars. What are human beings that they spare a thought for them or that you care for them? And that alone is reason enough to revere God above all. David said, you have made him, that is us, me, you, a little lower than the angels and you've crowned them with glory and honour. And when we consider this fact that he is God and what he has done for us is so huge. And when we read further into Psalm 8, which picks up from Genesis to clarify that God made the world as a place, a dwelling place that allows for a relationship to actually function and work between us and himself. There's no other purpose for creation than that God would have a relationship with you, me and us. Does that stimulate you? The next time you go camping and have a look around, it's only got one purpose. The earth only has one purpose. Worship God, provide a setting for relationship. Isn't that amazing? God doesn't look at it and say, oh, pretty, I'm really good. He looks at it and says, that is the dominion by which I will have relationship with the people that I create and love. Back in 1988, an earthquake devastated a section of Armenia, killing about 25,000 people. In one small town after the quake, a father rushed to the school, his son's school. He found it had been flattened. There was no sign of life. But there was no way he was leaving. And after a short time of standing there rather stunned, he started moving concrete blocks and rubble. He believed his son's classroom was under this particular pile of rubble and he started removing it. There were parents out on the road just wailing and he continued to lift off blocks and rubble. Some said there's no chance that any of the children have survived, to which this loving father says, I made my son a promise that I'd be there for him any time he needed me and I have to keep digging. And courageously and at massive risk, he just kept going. No one volunteered to help. They saw it as futile. And he just said to himself, it's my boy, and I will keep digging. With strength and endurance beyond himself, this went on for eight hours. Then people went home and he continued 12 hours, 24 hours, 36 hours. And then on the 38th hour, he heaved away a heavy piece of rubble and he heard voices, Amand, he screamed. And a child's voice responded, Dad, it's me. It's me, your son, Amand. And then he heard 
So I, Dad, I told the other kids not to worry. I told them that if you were alive, you'd save me. And when you saved me, that they'd be saved. You promised me. You promised me. And as he moved just a few more bricks, 13 other frightened, hungry, thirsty boys and girls climb out of the debris. Because when the building did collapse, originally there was an air pocket and there was a, a protected vacuum that these children stayed in. And here's what each one of us needs to take home today. God, the Heavenly Father, is in the rescue business. He's gone to great effort to rescue you from a terrible, terrible circumstance. And unless, unless you have a personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, and we focus on Jesus next week, without relationship with God, you have no hope of spending eternity in heaven. According to the Bible, sin separates all of us from God. Romans 3.23 is very, very clear. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 says, and the wages of sin is death. Sometimes I speak it out this way. Sin pays off with death. Because of sin, we will all die. Ephesians 2 and verse 1 says, we are dead in our transgressions. It pays off with death and we die spiritually as well as physically. But God doesn't leave it there. He has a plan. And one of the most beautiful passages of scripture that anyone has ever read is John 3.16, that God loves the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but live forever with God. He offers you the free gift of eternal life in Christ. It's so amazing. So amazing. And this is grace. We'll talk a bit about grace later, but um, Ephesians 2, wow. We all know, at least I believe we do, that you can't be saved in your own effort. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not by works. And this is God's work to reach out. It's his industry to reach out and rescue you. It's his design. It's his desire. And he does it in love. In John 1, 12, all that receive him and believe in him become children of God. We're all children. We may not all be children of God. And my prayer is don't let this day finish without all of us being children of God. Amen? If you want to know more about that, if you want to respond to God's loving offer to rescue you for eternal life, please speak to someone close to you. And if they don't, can't, or don't want to or can't give you a direct answer straight up, they'll point you to someone who can. But ask. God is our heavenly father because he knows, because he's powerful, because he's present, 
we know that he's merciful and that we can rely on him, trust him and depend upon him always, ever present, knowing and understanding where we are and what our needs are. He reaches out to us. And uh, it seems a little unequal, doesn't quite seem fair that God does all the reaching. But here's the truth of it. All you do is accept. Isn't that beautiful? All we do is say, I know you're right. <laughs> I know you're true. I'll take that. I'll accept that gift. And the beauty of that releases us from eternal death. Wow. I'm in. I still feel it's a little unfair, God, that you had to do that. But I am deeply, deeply thankful that out of your understanding of love, not mine, out of the way you love, you reach out. Can I ask you to stand for prayer? I know I've almost broken the record, but I want us to sing. I want us to glorify Jesus as we conclude. And I want to give God thanks for the talent and the love and faithfulness of our musicians week after week after week so good to have the opportunity to really pour out our hearts and uh, music allows us to do that so thank you team who needs to become a child of God today if that's you speak to someone close for those of us who are people of faith, isn't it good just to remember a few of the attributes of our wonderful God, our Father, our Heavenly Dad? So Lord, we just say that we are once again overwhelmed at your goodness and your grace, at your person, at your godliness, at all of those things that are true about you that we can't even fathom unsearchably true we love you lord we thank you for first loving us and if there is a person here today who needs to call out to you and say my father i want to be your child i pray that they do that right now in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit